Hi, and welcome to episode two of How to Read the Bible. In our first episode, we brought up this question of why do I read my Bible? And we talked about why that that is an important question to be able to answer. Well, today I want to continue to answer that question with this statement. We read the Bible because the Bible is true. So let's jump into it. Welcome to the How to Read the Bible podcast series, a podcast series designed to help you grow in your knowledge and desire for reading the Bible. In my last episode, I threw out this question of why do you read the Bible? And I asked, how would you answer that question if someone came to you and asked you why you read the Bible? And I really want us to get this, that reading the Bible isn't just about growing intellectually. It's not about being some great Christian. It's not about just having a reading list and getting through that reading list. It's not about being obedient to your pastor. But it's about so much more. And we explore this idea that as as we read the Bible, we're really interacting with God. That reading the Bible is a relational discipline. And that as we read, we get to know God's heart more. That as we read, we get to gain God's perspective on different situations. And we get to know God. And that as we do that, we begin to see things happening in our own lives. And we explore that by looking at Matthew 13, Psalm chapter 1, and 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. And in those verses, we, we were able to see that as we read God's word, it actually brings a benefit to our lives. And Paul summed it up so nice for us in 2 Timothy when he said that we, as we read God's word, it works in us in such a way that we are complete and equipped for every good work. And man, I want that in my life. In this episode, I want to further answer the question of why do we read the Bible with this statement. We read the Bible because the Bible is true. Now, we live in a culture where truth is a very interesting thing. And let's say we have two people who are arguing with each other about what the truth is. They might come to this conclusion. They might say, look, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. Let's just stop talking about this. Maybe you've said that to someone. Maybe you've heard someone say that to you. But the problem with that statement is it doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. If something being true is to say that it is factual, it is verified, it is real, then you cannot have two opinions be true when they're fundamentally opposed to one another. To say that your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, it doesn't work. One of the two people having this argument, or maybe both of them, are wrong. We cannot have two opposing things that are both factual, verified, and real. We just can't. It doesn't make any sense. Either one of them or both of them is just wrong. It is not the truth. And so I want to continue to answer this question of why do I read the Bible by just really honing in on this idea that we read the Bible because the Bible is true. Now imagine someone came up to you and said, hey, do you want some false information? Do you want to be deceived for a while? You'd say, no, of course not. Because we want to be people who live in truth. And so reading the Bible and engaging in Christianity isn't about being religious. It's about living in a conviction that what the Bible says is true. And that what the church has proclaimed over the centuries is true. And we want to be a people who live in truth. It's not just about being religious. And so on that note, I invite the critic to come and examine Christianity, to explore it, 
And there are no shortage of critics against Christianity. But if I believe Christianity is true, then I should be totally willing to have someone come and examine it, to explore it historically, to look at it logically, to examine every part of it, to see whether or not it is true. Because if it's not true, I don't know if I want to be a part of it. You know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, he's writing about the resurrection of Jesus. And he says that if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that is to say, if this whole Christianity movement isn't based on truth, he's like, then I should be pitied more than any man because he had given his life for that. He'd given his life for that truth. And so I I feel the same way. If somebody came to me and told me that Christianity was false, and they gave me verified, factual, real evidence that proved that Christianity was wrong, then, yeah, I I should be pitied more than any man as well. Because I want to live in truth, and I want to adhere to truth. And so we read the Bible because we believe that it's true. Now, I want to give us a bit of a story that might help us wrap our heads around this whole idea. And it's an illustration of a group of blind men who are walking up to an elephant. And they are tasked with describing what this elephant is or saying, what is this elephant? So the first blind man goes out and he puts his hand and he touches the side of the elephant and he says, how smooth. An elephant is like a wall. The second blind man put out his hand and touched the trunk of the elephant and he says, how round. An elephant is like a snake. The third blind man put out his hand and he touched the tusk of the elephant and he said, how sharp. An elephant is like a spear. The fourth blind man put out his hand and he touched the tail of the elephant and he said, how thin. An elephant is like a rope. An argument breaks out among these blind men. Each one's thinking that his perception of the elephant was the correct one. But then we have this king who's awakened by the commotion. He calls out from a balcony to these blind men and he says the elephant is a big animal. And he said each man touched only one part. You must put all the parts together to find out what an elephant is like. Enlightened by the king's wisdom, the blind men reached an agreement that each one of us knows only a part. To find out the whole truth, we must put all of the parts together. Now, maybe as I told this story, you get the application already, but it is that we all have different perspectives and experiences. And this is what our culture is saying to us now, that none of us then is wrong, but rather we need to be humble and recognize our own limitations of knowledge. So we should never claim to actually know the truth, but instead recognize that others others grasp truths in ways that we might not. So when we apply this analogy to religion, we see that no one religion could or should claim to know the truth. It is a type of all roads lead to God. So all truth is then subjective to experience and perspective. So maybe you've heard this before and in hearing it, you're like, okay, yeah, I, I, I guess so. I guess I don't know all the truth. I don't know totally everything. I can't claim to know all of that. So I guess, yeah, my truth's my truth. Your truth is your truth. And it's a kind of a convincing story in that way. But a guy named uh, Trevin Wax, uh, who wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition, summed up three problems with this parable. And the first one he points out is that the story works against itself in, in that its call to humanity comes from a character who claims to have the whole or absolute truth that the story claims is unavailable. 
So in this story, we're all supposed to be like the blind men, right? Um, and, and what they're saying is that total truth is unknowable. But then where did, in the world does this king come from who has this higher perspective? You know, Timothy Keller commenting on this uh, whole story in The Reason for God, he says, How could you know that each blind man only sees part of the elephant unless you claim to be able to see the whole elephant? How could you possibly know that no religion can see the whole truth unless you yourself have the superior comprehensive knowledge of spiritual reality that you just claimed that none of the other religions have? Now, Timothy Keller makes a really good point there. That the king in this story is inviting the men to remain blind. He's saying that you can't know all the truth. Yet he himself seems to know all of the truth. So that's the first problem with this story. The second one is that the story is teaching that we need to humbly acknowledge multiple truths. But this backfires when we see that with the king's perspective, each of these individuals looking at the elephant are wrong. They are not speaking the truth. But they're not encouraged to look for the full truth. The story works against itself again by revealing that the full truth could be known and that humility in this case is simply a lack of interest or desire to seek the whole truth. Now that's interesting, isn't it? When these blind men or people maybe even in our culture to say your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, really it's just an invitation not to consider the whole elephant, not to go looking to see the whole elephant. Now, thirdly, the story works against its fundamental idea that we are all blind by concluding the story with the idea of revelation. Now, revelation in this story makes all the difference. The perspective of the king would have revealed to these men that they were wrong, that they did not know the truth. And the revelation from the king would have enabled them to actually come to see and understand the elephant. Now, this is interesting as a Christian because we believe the Bible is God's revelation to man, that God didn't want to leave us in a state of not seeing the whole picture, but that he wanted to reveal himself to us, that he wanted to reveal the truth to us. Now, the reason I bring up this story is that this understanding, again, it's all over our culture. People do not want to acknowledge that there is simply a truth, that there is one truth. Yet again, our conviction as believers, when we read scripture, we, we read Jesus saying that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, that no one comes to the Father except through me. So, so God is saying, I, I am the truth. I am the one who will reveal the truth. The truth can be known. The truth is a thing. It, it exists. And we need to seek it. We need to seek it. In his book, Made for His Pleasure, Alistair Begg writes this comment looking over our society, and he says this, that we are not simply a society in which we recognize the existence of and the differences between a variety of religious beliefs, but one in which we declare all such beliefs are to be equally valid. From this perspective, there is only one kind of heresy, namely to claim that one view is ultimately right, where the others are wrong. In granting plausibility to everything, we may grant certainty to nothing. Tolerance has been embraced at the expense of truth. To allow that everyone and everything is right is to destroy the notion of truth itself. That's quite the quote. That 
But the thing I want to hone in on in this quote is when he says that there is certainty in nothing. And this is the thing with our culture, that when we get rid of truth and we have certainty in nothing, there is nothing we can appeal to. There is nothing that can give us a foundation. Everyone is suddenly left on their own. But I have a confidence that the Bible is true. That the words in the Bible are words of truth. It's not that I understand it all. It's not that I understand all the truth. It's not that I have the truth figured out completely. Rather that in the Bible, I'm able to interact with the one who is truth, to gain his perspective and to learn truth. And that is available to us in God's word. So I read the Bible because I want to be a person who lives in truth. Now, a lot of people might look at Christianity and and critique it and say that it has all these problems. And one thing they often will attack is the Bible. They'll say that the Bible is not true. It's not historic. It's not, you know, go on and on and on. So I want to give us a brief defense of the Bible. And that is to say that there are so many evidences that exist that support that the Bible is a document that is trustworthy and that it is a document that is true. The first one is fulfilled prophecy. You know, it's amazing when we read the Old Testament because so much is declared in the Old Testament that says that in the future these things are going to happen. Now, when those things don't happen, you could look at that prophecy and say, well, the prophecy was wrong. The prophecy was not true. But what if the prophecies do happen? And that's exactly what we see in the New Testament is that the prophecies made in the Old Testament are fulfilled. And when you read the Gospel of Matthew specifically over and over again, you will read this phrase that it would say that this happened to fulfill what was said in the prophet blank. And Matthew will tell us that the things that Jesus was doing was fulfilling prophecy all over the place. A couple of examples of this is that Jesus was born of the line of David. In 2 Samuel, God promises David that the Messiah would be born of his lineage. Sure enough, the genealogies in the New Testament confirm that Jesus was born of the line of David. In Micah, we read that Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. Sure enough, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Jesus was supposed to be born of a virgin. We read about that in Isaiah chapter 7. And sure enough, Jesus was born of a virgin. Now, that's all very interesting evidence, isn't it? Especially when we consider that these are different authors writing in different time periods. The next evidence is archaeological evidence. There is an archaeologist named Nelson Gluick who is quoted saying that no archaeological discovery has ever controverted, that is overturned, a biblical reference. And that's quite amazing. Basically what he's saying is that as they're digging and finding all these different things, Everything they're finding, they're they're seeing that none of it contradicts with what the Bible is saying. And not only this, but as things are discovered in archaeology, so much of it is confirming what the Bible says. Thirdly, we see that in the Bible there is internal consistency. You know, the Bible is really a collection of 66 books. There's 40 authors. It was written over 1,500 years. And in all of that, we see this amazing unfolding story that is incredibly consistent with itself, almost impossibly so. And this is to be compared to the Quran, which is one book with one author written over 23 years. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around 1,500 years of writing, but that's what the Bible is, and it's, yet it's consistent. It's amazing. 
Fourthly, as we we look at the Bible, we'll see that the Bible is incredibly honest about its main characters, and that it's not shying away ever from revealing their failures. It's not trying to hide anything. You know, we read about Noah getting drunk after he's built the ark and saved his family. We read about David's sin, cheating on his wife. We read about Peter, who in the New Testament, Jesus looks to him and he calls him Satan at one point. You know, and throughout scripture, we read about all these different people's failings, which is why, why, would, why would an author write in that? Well, it's true. These are real people dealing with real circumstances. Fifthly, we look at the persecution of the early Christians as evidence for why the Bible is true. Now, we look at these, these 12 apostles that are appointed. And why would these men be willing to die for all of this? to die for Christianity if it wasn't true. You know, they must have really believed that Jesus existed. They must have really believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior sent from God. And they must have really believed that after he died, he rose again. You know, otherwise, why would they subject themselves to so much much pain, ultimately to death? No, they believed that it was true. Now, the last defense I want to give for the Bible is about the Bible's manuscripts. You know, a lot of people will criticize the Bible saying that it's been lost in translation. That the the Bible that we have today probably would not match with what was written thousands of years ago because it's been translated and and moved around so many times. Yet archaeology puts an end to this debate. In 1947, in a hillside cave, this young boy found 2,000-year-old clay jars that he opened and found that they were holding an ancient collection of handwritten copies of the Old Testament that dated back as far as the 3rd century before Christ. So these were some old manuscripts. And as archaeologists looked around there, they discovered that the entire Old Testament was there with the exception of Esther. And as they looked at these manuscripts, they saw that the writing on these manuscripts that date back to the 3rd century before Christ is the same writing that we have in our Bibles, which is amazing. The message hasn't changed. It has not been lost in translation. So to bring this episode to a close, I, I think we really need to grow in this conviction that we read the Bible because it's true. There's evidence for it being true. We read the Bible because we want to be a people who live in the truth. And we believe that the Bible contains truth. So just as a quick application, I want us to to remember, if the Bible is true, we need to be asking ourselves, how do our lives measure up to that truth? You know, we we discussed this a bit in the last episode when we looked at 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. But as we read Scripture... As, as we, we read about the truth that God has given to us in his word, you know, are there areas in our own lives that don't measure up to that truth? Are there things that we believe or think about God that just isn't true based on scripture? Are there things we think about our culture and our world that just aren't true based on scripture? Are there things about how we need to act in our relationships that just aren't true based on scripture? And I encourage you, as you read the Bible, as you are confronted with the truth of God's word, I encourage you to examine your own heart, to look at your life and ask, man, where are the areas in my life where I'm either living in unbelief, that is to not accept the truth, 
or that I'm not living according to the truth. A really quick example of this from my own life, I remember when I was in college and I was really wrestling with with faith, with God, I was frustrated with him and I remember just spending hours thinking about things and like, I just can't understand, I can't wrap my head around this. And I remember reading Proverbs and this familiar proverb that, that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. You know, the truth that I had ascribed to was that I needed to have all my own understanding. I needed to have it all figured out. I had to have God figured out. I had to have the church figured out. I had to have religion. I I just had to know it all. And I was frustrated because I couldn't. And this was putting me in a really weird place. But as I read that proverb, the truth of God's word that spoke to me, it it was saying that I I need not to lean on my own understanding, lean not on your own understanding, but instead in all of my ways, acknowledge God, acknowledge his ways, and then trust that he will make my path straight. And I remember reading that and this sense of relief came over me. And I saw not only um, a truth that I needed to apply to my life, that, that if I lean on God's understanding, that he will make my path straight, But I also saw an area of unbelief in my life where I didn't trust God with that. I didn't trust him to lead me in understanding. I didn't trust him to lead me in truth. Rather, I was trying to take that into my own hands, into my own control. But as I read that, it challenged my thinking. It challenged my beliefs. And I was able to surrender that to God. To say, God, I'm sorry for leaning on my own understanding. Help me to look to you. Help me to acknowledge you in all of my ways. And so that's just a a short, quick example. And there are countless others, and I'm sure you've experienced that in your own life. And perhaps that example is just such a good place to end this podcast. That as Christians, we it's not that we're claiming to have all the understanding. It's not that we're claiming to know all of the truth, but rather that we know the God who is truth. We know the God who has revealed himself in his word. He's, He's revealed the truth to us. So it's not about us always being right. It's not about us having all the answers. Rather, it's about us leaning on the one who does and acknowledging that there is a truth and that it is in God. So why do we read the Bible? Well, because it's true. Well, I want to thank you for tuning into this episode of How to Read the Bible. I hope you were encouraged and blessed by this whole idea that we read the Bible because the Bible is true. If you're liking this podcast series, I encourage you to subscribe to the channel, to share it with a friend, and maybe just check in week after week to get your latest episode. The music for this podcast series is provided by the band The Hopeful Sun Worship Collective, and it's their song called Opening Up off their latest record, Fullness. Well, thanks again for tuning in, and I'll talk to you next time. You're bringing freedom to my heart.